last week we only got a few verses. Uh, but there were the one verse in particular, <clears throat> verse 15, was really at the core of what we had to say. And uh, the old King James Version that some people have memorized <clears throat> said, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but rightly handles the word of truth. Uh, rightly divides the word of truth depending upon uh, what your translation is. And that was really at the heart of that when we talked about uh, the kind of life that God longs to bless. Now, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that uh, there isn't a person here who wouldn't like to experience God's blessing. Uh, yesterday and Friday, <clears throat> there was an event held on the National Mall. There was a, uh, a prayer march. Um, sponsored by a number of different organizations, uh, participated in by a number of different people who uh, probably uh, all long to experience uh, the blessing of God upon our nation. A lot of prayers were poured into that event. A lot of messages were given. Um, the Franklin Graham piece that moved to among seven different prayer stations with uh, the crowd moving along, uh, lifted prayer for the variety of areas needs. Again, all of those just intended to put us as a people corporately in a place of blessability where we can experience the renewing or the re revival of God's work in the church and then consequently among our land. That was the whole intent and tenor of that event yesterday. So it, it's being able to get to the place of being able to be blessed by God. We said last week that God blesses a life that is a craftsman of his word. And we spent a lot of time talking about that whole piece and that all of our life is held essentially before the face of God. We use that phrase, uh, R.C. Sproul made a, a a very, I can't say a living, made, made a very big focus on his life, that quorum deo, that is before the face of God, that all of our life is lived before him, and we choose to, to live a lifestyle like that that acknowledges that everything that we do, eh, the language of the song is, every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, I live my life for you. And that's living before the face of God. <clears throat> we were talking a little bit about the understanding that the futility of some words leads to, and in the language of the verse 14 and following, leads, leads to quarreling, leads to ruin. Uh, down in, uh, toward the end of the chapter, it also talked about ungodliness. Those are the things that some words can do. And the issue is for us, what are we going to do to allow the words that we we give, we, we speak to, to lead us in a straight line, to make a straight cut in terms of our path, making a straight, uh, straight path, rightly handling the word of truth. I'm going to break in today down in verse 19 and then read that through the end of the chapter and talk about some of the other things that are involved in terms of the blessing of God. So um, break in with me at verse 19 of chapter 2. 
Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows who those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, and some are for ignoble or less than noble purposes. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, that is, less than noble purposes, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. <clears throat> those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The life God blesses. Not only is it that uh, a life that blesses because he's a craftsman of the word, but in verse 19, as we broke in, God blesses a life that has its confidence in him. The confidence that we have is in God and in Christ. And there's that phrase that he uses as he begins at verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. In other words, the things that we need to put our trust in, the things that we need to have as a priority in our life are going to be his word, his strong foundation. It is the thing that builds or gives us confidence. Um, in the in the PowerPoint, it said God always has. Oh, I'm, I'm way past that. I just I just pump pump the pump the things. Oh, well, now 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 okay. Now we're getting there. Here's the second. We'll get there. Okay. The other. Okay. So anyway, uh, you catch up with me. I'm just going to keep going. Okay. So the life God blesses it uses the phrase in verse 19. God it says nevertheless. You know, you have this contrast of the, the ruin of words where it talks about uh, the things that are create quarrels and ruin and ungodliness. And you've got two characters that are pointed out, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth and they've contributed to error in the church by some of their beliefs and teachings. But that is, even though that happens, there is still a, a, a place in the sense of confidence in God. Because he has a nevertheless. Whenever you see, it's like when you're reading in a sentence and you're coming along and then your sentence is completed. And then you have this word that contrasts that we say, but, but God, you know, but, you know, this can be the situation. But God, who is rich in mercy, showed his love toward us. God always has a nevertheless in the process. You can have all the bad stuff that happens in our world. But the anchor point of God's word and the work of God in our world is that nevertheless point. And there are two things that become the anchor point here today. They, they are sealed, the language is you sealed with this inscription, and it has two distinct separate pieces. 
The first one is that the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. Jesus was teaching uh, and, and used the analogy of the sheep and shepherd. He says, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. They know my voice and they follow me. God knows those who are his. Um, we may not have the full picture of whose his are. We may have a good guess. We may have an assessment based upon what we look at in terms of a situation uh, to, to say, well, yeah, those, that person is definitely a Christ follower by the choices they make, the life they live. But ultimately, God is the one who knows those who are his. We leave all of that, the final result, final decision, final call, left up to him. But the encouraging piece in this first part of the inscription, is, uh, verse 19, is that the Lord knows who are his. He can figure that out so we can rest in that. The second piece there is also interesting. He, also, he knows his own and he calls us up. That's the tail end of verse 19 <clears throat> when it says, Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Um, yesterday, Barbara and I listened a lot to uh, the, the ongoings that were down in the Capitol. Um, and there was a piece that was included in that that I think was key. If God chooses to do something supernatural because of the events that were held Friday and Saturday in Washington, D.C., if there, if there occurs a movement of God where renewal comes to his church, where people who have been praying for revival for church suddenly begin to experience the, the blessing of God, it will, it will occur because, at least in part, there has been a spirit of repentance that has been a part of the journey. We can't just develop some new idea and say, well, let's just try to do something better. We need to repent of ourselves. We need to repent of our sin. And that's not popular. That's not something that you hear about a lot in churches today. We, we just kind of gloss that part over and say, oh, just try better and do good and, and read your Bible and pray when you can. And We don't hear that message of repentance. <clears throat> but the language here says everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And that's moving a, a, a direction away from God. Your absolute confidence, it's moving a direction toward God in terms of an away from sin. We have to have our absolute confidence in what God is going to do because he knows who his children are. And he has a solid foundation that stands firm that is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God blesses the life that has its confidence in him. It's not in my ability. You know, they had, uh, I'll, I'll be referring probably to that event the last couple of days a lot today because it's fresh. But they had a lot of, of uh, people involved with that. And, and many of the people I, you know, I didn't recognize, a few people maybe, uh, just from past experience or reading or whatever. Um, it just, but they were just individuals who were there 
because they, they, they had that heart to want to be part of an intentional placement of their self before God, seeking his face, calling upon him. And some people get really intense in their prayers and other people are very calculated and measured in their words. Everybody has a little different style in terms of how they do this, that, or the other. But the point there was that you've got to come to a place of repentance, turning away from God. The Second Chronicles 7.14 verse was repeated multiple times by people. My people called by my name will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face, turn from wicked ways. Then, then something happens, if-then kind of connection of Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14. God blesses the life that has its confidence in him. God also blesses the life that, that is an instrument for his purposes. Come with me to verses 20 through 22. <clears throat> and uh, the, the story, the analogy here is, can sometimes cause us a little bit of confusion. Um, it says, in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble or less than noble purposes. And there are some things that are descriptive here of, of these pieces, these instruments, these articles in the household. Now, the point of confusion becomes, I think sometimes, becomes that sometimes we think, well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not, I'm not gold, I'm not silver, I'm more like a wood and clay kind of guy or gal. In other words, I don't have a, a big flashy purpose, you know. I mean, if you go to um, the store and you walk in with a, a gold bar or a silver bar and then a lump of clay or a hunk of wood, you know that there's probably going to be some natural assessment of worth to the gold because that's what often its intrinsic value is in terms of what our society is. Heaven doesn't worry about that. They use that for blacktop up there. So that doesn't, it doesn't mean a whole lot from that side. But from our side, we tend to, tend to assess importance or relative importance to gold, silver compared to wood or clay. So the point here is not that some are essential and non-essential like our employment situation was during pandemic. Did you happen to be a part of an um, of, a, of an essential work? I always I always hate that. You know, how, how do you feel being a non-essential worker? It's like, what's that about? You know, but but we have those designations. Here he's talking about things that are all have a purpose, but they serve a different function. But regardless of whether it's gold, silver, wood, or clay. They serve a purpose. And the purpose is described in uh, verse 21. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, the, the less than noble purposes, he will be an instrument for noble purposes. And here's the three descriptions or words that are used to describe them. For he is made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. If you want to look at any one of those three purposes, they all have value for us as Christ followers. What does it mean for us if we are setting ourselves apart, cleansing ourselves, cleansing from less than noble purposes to be an instrument for noble purposes? We are made holy. One of the pieces that the scriptures are clear about 
is that when we come to a place of faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we have a divine transaction that occurs and a, and a supernatural uh, change that occurs where in this mortal body, in this temple, we become, a res we become the residence for the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. It is his character, it is quality. And here he's describing, and he says, you become, for noble purposes, you are made holy. It is a work of God. I can't make myself holy. I might be able to improve in some areas. We listen, <clears throat> we listen to some stuff on the way up on our, on our drive uh, while we were cutting our way through the fog uh, this morning. You know, so We listen to some things on topics on anger. We put off listening to procrastination till next week, uh, but but that's another issue. So anyway, but we worked on some anger stuff, you know, and and uh, talking about something. But but the Holy Spirit indwelling us will have a displacing effect upon some of the less than noble actions or attitudes we can have. Anger being one of them. We become holy. We become useful to the Master. And you stop there and sit for a moment and think about what is it like to be useful to the master? What's the opposite of that? Unuseful, not available, useless. And we don't want to be that. But until we set ourselves apart, until we cleanse ourselves, the language of verse 21, we will not be able to fulfill the purpose of God being made holy and being useful to the master. I don't know what it is that God has for you to accomplish, but I know he wants to use you. I know he wants to use you right where you're at, regardless of where you're at, regardless of whether you think you're gold, silver, wood, or clay. He wants to use you for his purposes, and he wants you to be useful for him, useful for the master, and then prepared to do any good work. <clears throat> Preparation to do good work. Signboards. I, I love signboards. Um, we, we had one in New Cumberland with changeable sign. We put messages out each week. And most people, I don't know if they paid a whole lot of attention to it, but one day I got a phone call from a fellow that ran one of the educational institutions down around the corner a little bit. And he said, hey, he said, I was going by your signboard. He said, I like what you put out there. And I thought, oh my, what did I put out there today? You know, kind of thing, you know, kind of think back for a moment. But it came to me, and the language of this little saying was helpful. It says, success occurs when preparation meets opportunity. Success occurs when preparation meets opportunity. And if we're cleansing ourselves, verse 21, and we are presenting ourselves to God for noble purposes so that we are made holy and useful to the master, we will also be prepared for any good work. Our job, our task in being able to be in a place that the life God blesses is to be an instrument for him, for his work and purposes. Paul's remedy for those who are living an ignoble life, that's his language of NIV, ignoble life, is that he has to do something. He has to change some things. He has, first of all, to cleanse himself, verse 21. 
in one sense, we, we have to have God do that cleansing work in us. We understand that. You know, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there needs to be some work on our part. It involves our part. Um, and we've been, we've been into a lot these days about washing our hands, being careful about that, for the concern about transmission of germs of any kind, regardless of what name you put on the things. And that's not a bad thing. You know, I got grandkids that I know need to wash their hands a whole lot more than they do. Uh, but that, without naming them, uh, that, that, they just, it just, you know, we, you run into the bathroom, you do your business, and you run out. No, no, no not that big a hurry. You gotta, you gotta wash those hands, and so you, you, you have to make sure you do that. So you need to cleanse yourself. So there needs to be some response on our part to allow God to do a work in us. He also has to, verse 22, he has to run away. Cleanse yourself, run away. Flee the evil desires of youth. Now, it doesn't mean that everything that youth do is evil, but it means there are some things that are out there that are going to pull you away from God, and you need to run away from those things. You remember back to this character in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis named Joseph? Remember that guy? Seems like I heard some sermon series a while back. But anyway, Joseph, one of the things he had to do was flee. If he had stayed or lingered longer, it would have created a whole other set of problems for him. And he would have probably missed out on the greater blessing of God. But he had to flee. And even as a young man, uh, quite, a, quite a hunk, he had to learn to flee. And that was another of the responses that here Paul lays out. He had to cleanse himself, had to run away, but he also had to run after some other things. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We could probably dwell a long while on any one of those pieces, but simply to remind us, there is a fleeing from and there's a following after. Sanctification is the technical word we talk about, the spirit-filled life and what God wants to do in us. But there needs to be a separation from sin and a separation unto God. It's both directions. It's not either or. We can't just say, well, I'm going to try to be holier and not do this, that, or the other that I think are on the, on the ten most deadly list of some kind. It, it's an issue of saying no to this, but saying yes to God, moving away from one thing and moving toward God in, 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 the, in the other direction. And that is part of, the, part of the life that God blesses, is that when we become an instrument for his purposes, he begins to work in us. One last piece that's a part of the story here is that the, that the life that God blesses is a life that shows gentleness in the face of opposition. And this particular passage of Scripture verses 23 and 20, 23 through the end, end of the chapter, are often used to be descriptors of pastors, um, shepherds, elders um, uh, of the flock of God. <clears throat> and, and so if you're looking for what are the qualities of a pastoral candidate, 
this portion of scripture will provide some very helpful things. So let's take a quick look at some of those. God blesses a life that shows gentleness in the face of opposition. Gentleness in the face of opposition. Here's what verse 23 put it this way. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. That fits in well with what we talked about before in terms of the, the unproductive language that we can get into. But verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able or apt to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So here's the, here's the descriptors of the Lord's servant. Now, uh, let me just make a, an observation before I even go there. I don't think that the Bible sets one standard for pastors and another standard for non-pastors. I, th I, think, I think we set that. Sometimes we have our own high expectations. Well, you're a pastor. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't buy that. You shouldn't watch that. You're a pastor. Or, or make it even worse, you're a PK. You're a pastor's kid. You don't do that because you should know better. I can do that, but you can't do that because you're a pastor's kid. Or you can't do that because you're a pastor, but I can do that. So it's that standard, that double standard is not helpful. We're all on the same ground. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. But there is a higher standard, I believe, that God holds his servants to that we need to move after. Are we going to get it right? Hopefully some, sometime. Maybe not always. But here's, here's the descriptions. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Let's pull just those words for just a moment. Must not quarrel. Does it mean that the pastor or shepherd does not have an opinion? No. Does it mean that the pastor shouldn't be able to, or free to speak to the issue in our day? No. It's just that it's a, there's a whole attitude of being argumentative. Do you... Do you do you hang out? Or do, you, do you encounter people who seem to be argumentative? It seems like they're always looking for something to argue about. And particularly in Christianity, I mean, we can get into that kind of thing when you run into different theological flavors of churches. Sometimes people can get really uptight if you don't cross the T, dot the I, the same way they do. It all goes plays into this whole level of intolerance and lack of kindness that we have toward one another where we cannot respect someone else's opinion or the way they see things on a particular theological issue. Here, the language is you've got to be, as, as the Lord said, have to be not quarrelsome. In other words, I'm always going around looking to pick an argument. I don't know if you run into this, but there are some people that sometimes you just would prefer not to see. Because whenever you get into discussion, it's going to be into this, and you know it's going to be on that particular issue, whether it's religion or politics or taxes. Well, I don't know. I guess that's something you die about. But anyway, but, but regardless of what it is, there can be this quarrelsome kind of spirit. He is not to quarrel. But I, I believe that 
when 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 that Lord's servant, when the Lord's servant is filled with the Spirit of God, just like the 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 one who is not the pastoral servant, if you will, when the Spirit of God fills them equally as us, I think there's a whole displacement of some of that quarrelsome spirit. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. Now, there I have to confess, there are times when it's difficult to be kind to some of you stupid people. No, I, I shouldn't say that here. You know, I, I just, I just. But there are those times when you can, be, you can have a congregation where they are. God, you say, God, why did you send me all these stinkers? Why did you send me all these people that are just hard-headed, hard-nosed people? Or why did you fill my church with a bunch of Democrats or a bunch of Republicans or a bunch of Independents or a bunch of Libertarians? Or whatever you get into, and there are things that you can get into in terms of differences, that kind of thing that will divide. Keep in mind that all of those words can lead to quarrel and ruin and loss. That was last week, and that's a part of the earlier passage in chapter two. Uh, here he's talking about those qualities that are going to be helpful, kind everyone. Uh, you know, we with kids, we we teach children. I remember teaching some children's songs. Simple. Be ye kind, be ye kind, be ye kind to one another. Be and we'd sing that with kids. You know, we'd try to get the message into their head and heart that they were to be what kind. That means. Means that means the two brothers that are knocking each other out, or two sisters. Uh, 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 we'll get some sisters in here too. Uh, you know, need to exercise some kindness toward one another, and kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit of God working in our lives. And here he says they need to be gently, uh, uh, not quarrelsome, being kind to everyone, apt to teach or able to teach. In other words, there is a training, there's a, a heart to want to be able to convey the truth of God, whether that's official uh, pastor-teacher kind of thing, whatever it may be, but there's that inclination to do that and not resentful. We listen We listen to On the Way Up again uh, through the fog. We listen to uh, David Jeremiah thing on the subject of resentment. Resentment. One of the things that we can carry with us and uh, I, I won't I won't download that for you in your uh, today, but that certainly is one of the things that we carry with us. It's the slow burn. It's the kind of thing that goes on in our world, where there becomes this acid drip in our life that we allow to erode us, and it can explode into some other stuff. That's a whole other issue, but resentful is one of the things you're opposed. So in, in this whole issue of being, uh, it shows gentleness in the face of opposition, it understands two things. It understands a higher hope. That is that repentance leads them to a knowledge of the truth. That would be the hope, that, that by God's grace, as we model well those qualities in relationship to other people, that those who oppose him, he has to gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. That's one of the understandings that he has. It also understands that sometimes people are in a captive state and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. 
we listened to one illustration, uh, I'll share it just very briefly, about a man who was seemingly a model in his community. He, he worked at this particular business for 15 years, seemingly got along with people well enough. And one day, uh, after a period of time, after that period of time, 15 years, he came to work with all kinds of uh, weapons and began to systematically shoot people at work. It's not unheard of in our day. Crazy stuff. But then when they went into the background on this guy, they found that, that uh, there were a number of things that were going on, but one of which that was a primary driver was an issue of resentment. Found out that he'd been passed over by some of the other people for promotions, and that caused one acid drip of resentment. Someone else uh, got some kudos or something. He didn't. And just kind of build, 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 and over a course of time, it caused a whole failure of any control over that, and it resulted in loss of life. They, sometimes people are held in captive by the trap of the enemy to hold on to something and cultivate those resentments and those, that bitterness that they hold inside. And here are the languages that hopefully, by God's grace, they will be able to come to their senses and escape that trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We're talking about the life that God blesses, what he longs to do in our life. He longs to bless us as we are craftsmen of the word. He longs to bless us as we have our confidence in him, what he has done. He longs to bless us as we make ourselves available as an instrument for him to use. He longs to bless us as we show gentleness in the face of opposition that comes toward us. And that's the kind of life that God longs to bless. Those are the realities of our living and our world. Sometimes there are things that don't always go our way. Sometimes we face the opposition. Sometimes we have a tendency to not be worried about how I can be used as an instrument of his peace, but rather how I can get something myself. Those are all qualities that are going to lead away from God's blessing rather than leading us to God's blessing. So the question comes down to this. Is God blessing your life these days? Do you sense the blessing of God? Do you sense what John Piper would call the smile of heaven upon your life? That your greatest desire is to please God. He is, if you're purposing to be obedient to the truths here revealed in his word. My invitation to you is to present yourself to him as a vessel for his use to touch the world around you with his love and with his truth, and be a blessing because we experience God's blessing upon our life. I want you to pause with me for prayer. Will you do that? Our Father, we continue uh, to hear your instruction, your last word to a young man, a young man in the faith, on how to live successfully and live a life that experiences the blessing of God. We, we want that, not selfishly, but we want that because we know that's what you want for us, to bless us, to pour out your grace, favor, and spirit upon us. We know there is a price that is to be paid. There are some things we need to run away from, some things we certainly need to press forward to. There are some qualities we need to cultivate in our own life because of the presence of the Spirit of God where he gives us a spirit of gentleness 
where we can instruct others around us, but not not because we're trying to force a situation, but we're letting the Spirit of God move in us and through us and touch the lives of other people. So, by your grace, may we experience the fullness of the blessing of God as we seek to serve you. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. I ask you, Father, to use us today. And we will thank you for what you will do. In the strong name of Christ we pray. Amen.